This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with Jennifer Alvarez, our Digital Media and Marketing Officer, and Derek Konofalski, our Data and Technology Analyst. And we are here to celebrate our 50th podcast episode. Yay! Amazing, right? <laughs> That's hard to believe. Even when I went to write it, I'm like, 50? That's pretty amazing. So I wanted to bring you guys both here because you were here since the beginning and helped with come up with the idea and the creation of the podcast OG. and the OG. Yes. Um, and I think it's really interesting because we launched a year and a half ago, mostly because we were, wanted to share with other cities the types of things we were doing in creating a digital communications department and very non-traditional, not typically what you'll see in government when it comes to communications. And so we were speaking at some conferences and, you know, didn't really feel like it was a thing to write a book about and thought, well, what could we do instead? And so we started podcasting. And I think it's been really amazing how we've watched our following grow. People that aren't just in government, I think, find value in the podcast. And we have a lot of fun doing it along the way. So it's been a really fun journey the past year and a half. And we release an episode every two weeks. We try to, and we can stay on top of it. Obviously, we get busy in our jobs. But it's been, it's been really fun to watch the podcast and the following grow and to put together. Yeah, I don't think if you had written a book, it would have been as successful. I mean, digital communications is changing on a daily basis. So the minute you write that book, it's already outdated. So this podcast has been really neat for us to highlight the trends and things going on in digital communications from social media to open data and making sure that we're staying current and making sure that we are helping other cities, communities, and marketers in general stay current as well. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's my favorite part is when I go to like a conference or something and I mention the podcast, just like, hey, have you heard this? episode and I don't say that like you know we make it or anything just I'm I'm just kind of sharing the content of the episodes or whatever and then people talk about it and they're like oh yeah I love GovGone Digital I'm like oh that makes me feel great because that means that you know we're we're doing something that I think is worthwhile and it helps people and and I feel like everybody's got to kind of move along together like you said there's there's a lot of stuff that changes and it's hard to keep track of it yeah I think it's current events because it's funny, sometimes we'll, you know, do an episode and then a few weeks later, there'll be even changes in whatever it might be. We might be, I think in the beginning, we were still talking a lot about Snapchat and having Snapchat strategy Periscope. and Periscope oh, yeah. even and how to use Periscope in an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. And that was how one much, of our first episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and how much has changed in a year and a half. So it's, it is so true. If you want to stay relevant and on top of it, it's more than just presenting at a single conference too. It's a constant conversation because that's how quickly technology is changing. And so to be able to stay ahead of that curve, I think is really important. Yeah, I think it's been a lot of fun for us to share what we love, right? So we are all so passionate about what we do, and um, we want to make sure that that passion comes comes across, and we share it with other cities, and making sure that they understand that they don't have to be afraid. Like we are, we're trying to pave the way for them. We're trying to take away all of the fear. Um, this is how we're doing it, and you know, helping them find ways to help them do it in their cities or and make digital communications possible in their communities. So yeah, it's not competitive. No. That's what's so interesting. I think about the work we do. People think, you know, oh, well, this is this competition with other cities. And it's really not. I think some of the lessons that we've learned can be applied anywhere in any situation, not just in government, but we hear a lot about the roadblocks you run into in government and trying to communicate and a lot of the old school ways. And 
And we talk a lot about, well, if people are living their lives that way, that's how they should be interacting with government too, or that's the expectation. You know, if they're paying their bills a certain way in their personal life, when they come to interact with their city, they probably want to pay their bill the same way there too. So figuring out how we do that and moving government along, it's not easy to change and it's not easy to create change that's going to go. And this isn't just even at the local level, but at the state and federal level too. And so there's a lot that we're able to share and want to share with other governments because together we will all rise. If we all can improve the ways that we're delivering services to people, it will only benefit all of us in the long run. Yeah. And I think that's one of our successes with the podcast, too, is that, yes, things change all the time. But I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talk about is just about people's mentalities and the you know organizational culture and stuff like that, which to me are very evergreen topics. Because if you, you know, like just as an example, um, our, I think our most popular episode is still the first one. And, and to me, that's surprising because with how much things change, you know, it, a, a episode that we released a year and a half ago is still getting listens pretty regularly. And I think the reason for that is because, yes, we mentioned technology, we mentioned some stuff, but ultimately what the episode is really about is kind of that that mentality going in. How do you create a, a digital agency, you know, within your organization or with some of the other videos? How do you do video effectively regardless of the platform or regardless of the technology that you use? And I think that's the stuff that people really kind of like, um, are able to absorb and, and use going forward because every organization is going to be different. The tools that you have at your disposal are going to be different. The people that you have are going to be different. So it's much better to talk about, you know, the, the common language that everybody has and those concepts rather than specific things. Well, and this podcast was really kind of created, Dana. I know that you always, um, in talking with communicators across the country, tell them, you know, share this with your town managers, share this with your mayor, your city manager, your leadership team. I mean, we always talk about how we can't do what we do without the support from our leaders in this organization. And so this podcast will hopefully hope has hopefully helped other leaders across the country understand the importance of digital communications and meeting your residents where they are. So that's like the common thread whenever we talk to other municipalities, it's always, you know, well, we don't have the buy-in from up, up top or whatever. So yeah, it makes sense that they would listen to Well, and to a lot it. of that is leadership changes. So in situations in cities where there isn't a, uh, you know, a strong there is a strong mayor and that mayor comes and goes, it's very hard to sustain long-term change when you have a new mayor come in with a new set of staff. You see this in New York City. I was just reading an article last week actually about New York and the change from Bloomberg to de Blasio and how a lot of the work that they had done in the smart city space and related to connected technologies and so forth really went by the wayside when when a new mayor came in with a brand new staff and it's very very hard to create long-term sustainable change and momentum on projects especially in the innovation space when you only have someone in a position for a four-year term so we're very fortunate we have a city manager who's been here for seven years and I don't think plans to go anywhere anytime soon and so we know that a lot of the in you know the commitment that we're making today is for the long term and we don't have to worry that oh when the next election cycle comes up this could all go by the wayside but a lot of cities do have to worry about that and I think that that's a real problem and people want to know why cities you know, well, they, they experiment or they made an 18-month commitment. It's it's likely because of 
the change either in leadership or an election coming up, and that can make it very, very difficult. We've seen um, large cities, small cities, you know, be affected by that. So it's really important, again, that the top-down, the buy-in is there, but that you think about what is that long-term plan that if the leadership does change, I mean, how do you continue to sustain a lot of, you know, the things that you've done and a lot of things that we've done in this organization that we would hate to be undone in a November election. So it's really important, I think, that cities look at building not just from the top down, but across the organization, that buy-in and understanding of why it's so important to be open to change and communicating, you know, with with residents on a daily basis. Government doesn't have to be so old school. If you would have told me that I would work in government, a government job? No thanks. <laughs> like I would have never been interested, right? Most of our staff, none of our staff. You did tell government. me. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't interested. Yes. When I tried to hire you, I said, you know, come work at government. Why would I want to work in government? I have a friend. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You had a friend that might want to work in government. I said, this isn't your typical government. We talk a lot about that being not typical government. We do some marketing in our HR team with this concept of the Google of government. So thinking differently, but there's no reason that that should be unique to Gilbert. Cities across the country should be thinking about, you know, acquiring talent and getting people, you know, Jen, you mentioned because we're passionate about it. I think that that's at the core. If you just want to come to be a government worker that's clocking in and clocking out and getting to your retirement date, you know, I'm sure there's a place for you in a city somewhere around here, but it's not Gilbert. Gilbert's a place that you come where you can do a variety of things. You get great opportunities and where I really feel like you have to have that passion for the the community and where we're going and what we're doing. And, you know, I think when you find that collectively across the organization, it makes getting work done a lot easier when people have that shared commitment to the community that you're working for. Yeah, and I think that reminds me of a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes by uh, Wayne Gretzky, actually. He says, I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is. And I think that that, to me, is like the difference in the mentality between a lot of you know government work versus what we do here, is I think that a lot of people are just trying to you know keep the wheels turning. They're trying to make sure that people are, are, are happy, which is good, but they're only thinking about like the current situation. And I think that's where you get into those situations where, you know, people get hired for very specific roles um, because that's a problem that we have right now. So they, we have to fix it or whatever. And then when that problem goes away, that that person is just kind of like hanging around, you know, and they, they don't really have a spot in the government. You, you kind of have to find people that are just good problem solvers. You have to have that mentality of, you know, like, like, not just what's going on now, but where where are we taking this ship? Where are we steering it? And then once we get there, where do we steer after that? And then after that and after that, you just, you constantly have to be thinking forward. Yeah, I think about um, probably a lot of our listeners are, are one-person communications teams. Like, they don't have mm-hmm. a whole lot of support. And Gilbert, we have a small communications team for the, the size of our community. Um, and honestly, we couldn't do what we do without the support across the organization. I mean, we have digital teams um, in, in the different departments overseeing their social media. So, you know, reminding people to take ownership of their own content and, and join you in this digital communications ride and, and changes and um, adopt and change with you because you can't do it alone. And they, once they see the successes, they then realize that it's worth the effort. 
And, you know, our, I think to our um, capital improvement team, they, um, instead of hosting public meetings, now they're wanting to do online surveys and online digital engagement and get feedback that way. So because they were only seeing one person come to these meetings, now they're getting 300, 400, 500 comments in a week. Um, and it's getting, it's feedback that they never were receiving before. And it's so much easier. It's ultimately kind of less effort and time on their part mm -hmm. and they're and getting less money and less money exactly and they're getting the feedback that they need and have always wanted that just have never been able to get so if you can get buy-in and that support and and start small and find those teams who are willing to work with you in the digital forefront um, even if you're a one-person team I mean that's how you're going to start to build that digital communications efforts across your organization yeah and I think this goes for consultants that we work with, vendors. There's a lot of groups that we work with that we're helping to improve their product or their process. We just met with a consultant yesterday about a project coming up and they were like, well, maybe we can forego the public meeting part of this or maybe we could compromise because they learned, they took the time to learn how we do things here. And even though they might work with cities all across the country who are still very old school in their ways of outreach, they were quick to adapt their process to how we do things because they saw the success we had. And we hear that a lot from the consultants that come to work on various projects, um, you know, our regional park or our general plan, whatever it might be. And they come and they say, oh, wow, look at the engagement you have online. You get a lot of feedback there. I don't even think we necessarily need to do the public meeting or the formal mail survey um, because they, we can show them the data, we can show them the results. We said, oh yeah, we have that survey information that we can give you. Oh great, then we don't have to do our own survey, right? Why Why do we make this so difficult? I just said this with voting, I just mailed my ballot on Sunday and I thought, why do we make this so difficult for people? It doesn't need to be that difficult. If there's so many other ways that we're living our lives that are easy, if our team could get the hands on our voting system, <laughs> our hands on their voting system, oh, we man. could we could change this. Let's not have system. that conversation because <laughs> I'm going to start talking about blockchain for the next two yes, hours. Yes, exactly. Because it, th but this is why you know I just think to myself like oftentimes we complicate like. Another great example is surveying. When you have a huge organization, I think the larger it gets, you have these pockets or silos of your organization. Everybody's kind of off doing their own thing. And it takes our team to kind of come together and be like, wait a second, the economic development team already did this business survey, or you know, the development services team is working on this survey for the general plan. Like, How do we bring all of this information together so that we're not having these competing surveys or survey fatigue or whatever that looks like? And it, it, it's not that difficult like this is like okay guys like we we don't need to complicate this process like how do we make this easy how do we make your lives easier how do we make your jobs easier and people are very happy to have us at the table and to have our help but I just don't know that that happens in other organizations and you know we've had instances here even with people in the organization who are like oh well the organization I came from we didn't necessarily have to get the communications team involved or we didn't want to because they weren't helpful oftentimes. And so you have to build that trust. You talk about build the buy-in from the top down. You also have to build that and earn the trust and respect of the organization and the different departments so that they think of you first. So they say, oh, hey, I need to do that outreach or I need to do that survey. I better call the digital comms team because they can help me to make this happen. And that takes time. I mean, we're talking six years of effort on our part here. Yeah, I think that goes back to kind of the principle of 
the concept is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. You know, it's, it's very simple to, I mean, we're, we're basically the glue that holds, you know, the different parts of the organization together. Every piece of the organization, like you said, is doing their own thing. It's our job to, to, you know, bridge all the different gaps to, to put those silos to just constantly kind of have like our eyes to or ears to the ground on what's going on in the organization. And you're right. That's not, easy it's a it's a simple idea but it's not easy because you have to get a bunch of people all involved at the same time and i think this is where cities also miss the mark on this is if you have a either a siloed communications group it's not centralized or you have maybe multiple PIOs, but they each only focus on one area, that only adds to the division that you have. So, you know, I know a neighboring city where I'll call and I'll say, oh, well, well, that's the PIO over Parks and Recreation. And, and another PIO is like, I have no idea. I think it's really important, although it is very overwhelming at times to be an expert in everything. We talk about this a lot, um, which is why sometimes we can't be and we have to get help or, you know, be more focused maybe on external things or plan out projects so we don't have too much overlap. But it is really important to know everything that's going on and to be at the table uh, when those marketing or communications decisions are made, not the, um, hey, we're doing this survey here. Can you get this out? No, no, no. We need to be at the table when we're designing that survey and talking about the timeline for that survey. And I think that that's really important in another area way that you'll never get ahead and feel proactive in your communication strategies if you're always running behind and waiting for them to come to you to get the word out on whatever it is that you're trying to do. And I would say, you know, that has happened where we've get bought, been brought in last minute to just do the outreach portion of it. But, you know, we aren't afraid to say like, hey, this isn't the best way of doing this or this survey is way too long. You're not going to get the response that you want or need. Um, and so don't be afraid to ask those questions and and take a step back and, and do it the way that you know is right, right? You are the communications experts. We are the communications experts. And we've, again, built trust with the team so that now they have, they bring us in at the beginning. Um, but there are those times that we, you know, it slips through the cracks and we aren't brought in the beginning. And we aren't afraid to ask those questions and say, hey, this isn't the way we need to do it. This is the way that we suggest. And the teams are actually open to it. And they see why we make those decisions and why we make those suggestions because they end up getting the responses and the information that they need from the community. And I think one of the things, um, you know, surveys are a really hot topic on our teams right now and our departments. And one of the things that I'm trying to, to tell them is that the community is already telling you what they want. They're already telling you what they need. They're, you're getting feedback in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be a survey where you ask them point blank, what do you love about Gilbert? Yep. What do you want to They tell see? us every day on social they media. They tell us every yep. day on social media from a basic post about Gilbert kindness and, and, you know, a cool story about someone showing kindness in the community. And they just say, oh my gosh, I love this. This is what I love so much about Gilbert. I love my community or whatever they love about Gilbert. They're telling us point blank, flat out through a social media post that we never had to survey them. It was just something to engage the community. Yeah. So listening is so important instead of just always asking for that feedback, listening to what that feedback is that they're already giving you is really important. It is. I have a, a great example. Last night, uh, we lit our water tower. We have a cool little water tower in downtown Gilbert. If you've never been, you should come and visit downtown Gilbert. But um, we lit it red 
for um, a firefighter who we lost, unfortunately, to um, a brain aneurysm. And um, the services were yesterday, and so they kind of did this really was an amazing thing. And the daughter, um, his daughter, wrote on our Instagram post, you know, thank you so much from the Nelson family for doing this for my dad. We love Gilbert. And I thought that that was so touching because, you know, that's why we do this. And it, it's so funny because what one thing we do here is as big as we get with a quarter million people, we expect to add another hundred thousand before build out. People love that it's still Gilbert still has that small town feel. It's that community that people feel. I thought that was a perfect example of what the pride that people feel in living here. And it's, you know, the same, the pride that we take in working here. And it's always a good reminder about, you know, what we're doing and we're here to serve the public and always kind of keeping the residents at the forefront of everything we do. And I think that this podcast has been a great reminder of that. And, and to just be able to stop and talk about the accomplishments. You know, we always say we don't celebrate enough. You know, the things that we do, you just move on to the next thing. Like you get something done, we just relaunched our website, right? So great project and then it felt like it's like on to the next thing, you know? And it's sometimes that's just how life goes. You know, it sometimes feels a little thankless, you feel exhausted by certain things. But when you are able to do something like this where we actually can st- stop and think about and talk about what we've done it's been pretty amazing and we've gotten some really cool feedback about the podcast as well online yeah we've got a, a quite a few reviews on itunes specifically and yeah. i wanted to share one of them because um i don't know who it's from because the screen name or the the username is it's hey, not from us uh, though shockingly yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so i just wanted to read this because i thought it was really cool and it, it, it's not a communicator so um, this person said, I listen to a lot of planning, urban design, and placemaking podcasts. While those are great, it's sometimes discouraging because I can't imagine a lot of municipalities having the resources and or desire to implement the ideas there. Government Gone Digital is a great counterpart. It shows what local governments can do with, yes, some money, although maybe just reallocation, and definitely some risk, but mostly vision and courage. It has consistently good production quality topics and guests. The hosts are great real and personal, but not that weird inside jokes with lots of dead air that some podcasters have. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I know. Isn't that so said, nice? Love it. But, yeah. you know, it's just, that's everything that we wanted to get across. Like, yes, you need some courage to do the things that we're doing, but at the end of the day, everything we do and everything we kind of talk about on this podcast, we do for our community to invoke community pride, to make sure that our community is informed. And I think that if anybody who's listening takes anything away, it's just remember that what you do is for your community and to be passionate and take pride in it and to love what you do. Yeah, there's like a huge, I mean, it's not just with what we're talking about, but just in general, I think the world is kind of going through this like very user-centered um, transition where now like, you know, businesses are thinking about the end users for stuff. You have like, uh, you know, developers and computer people thinking about user-centered design or whatever. And now, you know, we're finally getting to the point where governments are thinking about the people that they're serving as opposed to just, we're the government, this is what we do. And I think it's kind of interesting when the, the missteps that I see from most governments is that their communications departments are very one-way focused. It's, it's all like pushing out communications to the community, and then we push out communications to the staff, where, like we've just shown, uh, I think the two, you know, having that, that, and I think it is kind of courageous to take feedback in as well and act on that and then respond to it. I think if you have that two-way communication, then you're already setting yourself up for success in any organization, whether it's government or not. You're listening to your users, and then you're providing directly based on the feedback that you're getting from them. 
Yes. And so I love this. And if our listeners have ideas for podcast episodes for us too, we'd take, we'd love to take them. And Feedback is a gift as our old mayor used to say. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the most popular episodes. It's kind of interesting to me that a lot of the ones around um, social media and also embracing technology and fearing policies, I think in government, that's also a very common reaction when you know people are very fearful to engage using video or social media or whatever method it might be and so you know they go to the attorney's office and they end up with these long policies and then people are afraid to use it all so I thought that was interesting that that's been one of our most popular topics as well and then meeting residents where they are and are about our online engagement so if you haven't listened we've had some really Great things come of our podcast too. What Works Cities, who's a great partner of ours um, through Bloomberg Philanthropies, has shared our podcast on their monthly newsletter. And within 10 minutes, we had 250 listens on the particular episode that they shared. Uh, I was contacted by someone who's a listener to ask me to come speak at the Box Women's Summit in San Francisco, and I'm doing that. And then also ideas have come out of it, like the Alexa the news briefs that we do weekly on Gilbert News. And so there's some amazing things that can happen when you think about, and like we said, stop and think about what we're doing, talk about it, and then being able to share what we've learned with other people. Because like you said, it's about our community and our surrounding communities and helping others. And you know, a lot of conferences that we go to, you meet other communicators like us who say, I want to do what you're doing. I want to do this, but I don't know how, or I don't know where to start. I feel like that's the common thing I hear. And really I say, share our podcast with them. You know, I just had someone reach out who's applying for a job in uh, communications in another city and was like, what you know, advice do you have? I said, listen to the podcast. So it's a great tool to be able to share with others and really a collection of what we've learned over the next, of the last year and a half. And I'm just really excited about what's to come. Yeah. And although we do, we do kind of structure the episodes that you can, you know, just listen to an episode if you want to. But I, I, I think I would, you know, obviously I'm biased a little bit, but I would recommend that everybody listen to the, you know, all 50 episodes. I know that's kind of a time investment, but um, there's a lot of stuff that just kind of builds off of previous things. You know, yes, you can listen to the one episode that's related to the topic that you want, but if you really want to get kind of the big picture idea of, of everything, you really should listen to all the episodes. Well, it gives you an idea. I mean, some people may not know or realize um, or think about how open data could impact what they do as, a, as mm-hmm. their job in communications, right? But um, having open data under our wing is has been so helpful, and it really does help us communicate and and show our community the value of data and yeah. how you know show the value of some of the things that our d- different departments are doing. Um, so even the open data episodes, which may not seem like they would be relevant to some people, are because you do need data and you do use data and you do a tool like that is so helpful for communities. Yeah. Well, I was even thinking we you know we have a lot of episodes about uh, that that our digital journalists have done about you know video techniques and just how they plan some of our videos and things like that but if if your organization doesn't even allow your employees to go on YouTube what's the point of those you know I mean yes you're you're putting those videos out but you're you're really shooting yourself in your in the foot if you're making videos without some of that other stuff in place but you wouldn't really necessarily get that just from the video episode because we're focused on the techniques as opposed to like the policy but we have an episode um what is it? Embrace technology, fear the policy, where we talk about s- some of that kind of stuff. You know, it's it, you have to take that holistic approach to it. Yes, there is stuff that maybe you might not think applies to you, but I promise if you look at it as a whole and just take all the pieces, it'll it'll help you 
think a little bit clearer. It'll help your communication. And um, you might actually, you know, become a little bit more innovative because of it. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. Jen, Derek, you guys are awesome for joining me. So fun. It's hard to believe it's been 50 already. Oh my gosh. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, And just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter at GovGoneDigital. And do you have ideas for our next 50 podcast episodes? Well, we'd love to hear them. So be sure to share them. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. Gone Digital.